The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. So my question is, do you have any advice for people who might have ADHD or any other neurological disorders and really struggle to do the things that spark joy because of such conditions? In today's episode, our listener Mel shares an interesting question about how to balance her drive to learn to acquire knowledge and also advocate for what she cares most about in light of her neurodiverse brain that can sometimes seem to make these things harder to act on. And Mel asks, how do you embrace your innate impulse and find joy in work and life to activate your spark type when it feels like the way you're wired doesn't easily support what you feel put here to do? And this question, it comes up a lot in so many different ways for so many different people where life just sometimes seems at odds with the pursuit of what makes you come alive. And on deck with me this week from the Spark Brain Trust to help tease out what really matters and share insights and ideas is the founder of the Original Impulse Creative Studio and Atelier and coaching program for writers. He's also an author, workshop facilitator, a trusted advisor and coach, Cynthia Morris. Now, you'll hear us mention something we call sparkotypes in conversations. So what is that? Turns out we all have a unique imprint for work that makes us come alive. This is your sparkotype. When you discover yours, everything, your entire work life, even parts of your personal life and relationships, they just begin to make a lot more sense. And until you know yours, well, we're kind of fumbling in the dark. And just like today's listener did, you can discover your sparkotype for free at sparkotype.com. You'll find a link in the show notes. Now, on to Mel's story in question. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked. Hi, my name is Mel. My pronouns are she, her. I'm 46 years old, currently single. Well, divorced, but it's been a while. And I have no children, but a beloved cat named Diana, which I named after Wonder Woman. I live in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, but was born and raised in Calgary, Alberta. I've always considered myself growing up to be a creative person, but often struggled with figuring out what to create or couldn't quite get it to come out the way I'd want it to. I've discovered through the Sparkotype test that my Sparkotype is a maven with a strong advocate shadow Sparkotype, and I'm an anti-performer. I felt like this made total sense to me because I've put I love to learn new things on my resume since I can remember, and even found learning how to do the creative art project or about the new computer design application was really what I love to do, more so than getting out the best art project I could do. The advocate shadow I do really use to guide me in my quest to learn more about things. I've long been an animal rights person, environmentalist, left-leaning politically, and advocate for equality wherever I can. I feel these causes help me to want to learn more about how we got here and what could possibly be solutions to these issues. My question is, over the past year, I also received a diagnosis of having ADD and ADHD. It's something I probably struggled with my whole life, so the diagnosis was not a total surprise to me. ADD made things much harder for me to learn things, and I especially struggled with reading, as my mind would wander halfway through a paragraph or even a sentence, and I'd have to reread it over and over again. It's quite exhausting. 
It's gotten a lot better after diagnosis and with learning more about the condition, yay Maven, and the right medication. So my question is, do you have any advice for people who might have ADHD or any other neurological disorders and really struggle to do the things that spark joy because of such conditions? Thanks so much. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. Cynthia Morris, some interesting ideas, topics, and question brought up by today's listener, Mel. Now, at the outset, I think we need to make crystal clear that neither you nor I are a mental health or health or medical professional. So we absolutely cannot speak to the like very nuanced or detailed particulars of any specific condition like ADHD or ADD. That said, we can speak to some more generalized um, principles. And I know that you've actually had some interesting conversations on your own, um, both with clients and with um, a recent podcast guest of yours even, and about a similar challenge, but in a different context. And I have some broader ideas also. So let's dive in and see where this all takes us and see if we can provide um, some insights, not just for Mel, but also really maybe for anyone who feels like they have this impulse inside of them. But there's something about themselves, the way that they're wired, their orientations, their circumstances that makes it a little bit more challenging to support this particular impulse. And maybe even they feel like conflicts with it. You know, in this case, we have Mel sort of saying, hey, like my primary impulse is the maven and the impulse for the maven. It's all about learning. It's a knowledge acquisition. It's this deep, deep, not just love, but an impulse to invest effort in knowing, in knowing more for no other reason than the joy that the process gives you. And she's sharing that her diagnosis of ADD, ADHD is presenting some challenges. So Cynthia, where would you dive in? Well, first of all, it is true that I am not a mental health professional, not even an armchair expert in ADD or ADHD. Having said that, I do work with clients who have 
a lot of interests. They have a lot of challenge getting things done and focusing. So some of the issues that I think Mel is dealing with are very familiar to me. And I'm really glad that Mel got the diagnosis because she said that it it has made things better. And I think a diagnosis can really help you feel like you're not constantly wrong. And that's the thing, the place I always want people to start is, you know, what if nothing's wrong with me? What if I could just remove that label of feeling wrong and release a lot of the stress and judgment that goes along with that? And so I, I did interview Corey Huff for my podcast recently, and I'll share some of the resources that he shared with me about being a, a super creative person with ADHD. But I want to talk about the main thing that I would want for Mel and anyone else who struggles to get things done. And it's to really set a priority with finding out who you are, how you best operate. Sparkotype are such great ways for us to feel normalized in some of the things and ways that we, that we are. And I would just keep looking for what works for you now to do the things that you want to do and just make notes and become like a, a laboratory scientist of your own process and then keep leaning into that and developing that. Yeah, I, I love that. And and I like that you sort of like also, you know, said, let's let's actually talk about things like this in a normalizing and inclusive way. It's interesting. Mel, Mel used the phrase diagnosis of having ADD, ADHD. And in fact, you know, like it is, these are things that exist in like the DSM and sort of like the clinical world as diagnoses. And yet more broadly, we're hearing so many more conversations using phrases like um, neurodiversity, which are not, you know, w- w- which is a really interesting lens because it's it's not looking this as sort of like a quote, diagnosable disorder. It's basically saying that neurologically, we're all wired very differently. Some people are wired in ways that make certain tasks or certain things more challenging if you do it conventionally. And certain folks are wired completely differently where like the conventional path of doing something happens to work for them. And then, and the thought is less that, you know, like, let's try and fix what's wrong. And the thought is, let's actually try and understand like how we function on an individual basis without regard to, um, the way that the sort of conventional ways of functioning have been set up to support, because that way we can understand how to start to create our own approach that actually supports the way that we're wired. I even want to challenge the idea that there is a conventional way. Nah, it's a good point. You know, like people are putting out their ideas about how one might do things, and then we might take that up as, as a convention. But you can see from books, I know you like the book, Daily Rituals, that was um, by Mason Curry, where he compiles, he also did a follow-up of, of women, uh, how these creative people function. And you can see a huge range of experiences and ways. It's not one template or modality that they follow. And I think that's really the thing that when we're trying things, we hear, oh, like some smart, successful person does it this way, and then we try it, and then we completely, it doesn't resonate with us, and then we think we're a failure versus thinking, oh, that's not me. I think we so desperately want like some kind of formula to how we're supposed to do <laughs> life or creativity that there's something outside of ourselves that's going to give us more a direct path to it. And the real work, I think, which is probably true for anything, is that it's more self-inquiry. When do I work best? I know that, you know, by three o'clock, I just can't focus on anything. I know that in the morning, I love doing this. I know I really have only this amount of focus. I know 
I love the idea of a challenge, like a 100-day challenge, and by 10 days, I'm just done. So what if you just knew all that and owned it and felt good about what works for you? And even if it's totally kookadoodle-doo, like what if it seems so weird that you don't want to even tell anybody? What if that's the way? What if that were just like that easy? Yeah, I, I love that. And I love the notion of challenging convention, even at like as a root idea. As you were sharing that, w- what came to mind was years ago, I had the opportunity to sit down with Sir Ken Robinson um, on the Good Life Project podcast and explore his ideas. And and he, he shared this story, which he, he had written about a number of years earlier about uh, a young girl who was in school and just, you know, like was doing terribly and couldn't sit still and was constantly and got called into the principal's office and the mom got called into school. And, and you know, the, the little girl was asked to sort of like go into a separate room where they could see through the glass and they're trying to figure things out. And, the, you know, the, sort of like the principal was watching and basically see, just seeing her like move all around and, and saying, you know, like, actually there's nothing quote wrong. Um, she needs to dance. And they completely, you know, they put her into dance classes and changed the way that, that, that her environment was. And turns out to be one of the most prolific um, choreographers um, and creators of dance in the history of theater. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. somebody didn't look and say, there's something wrong here. Somebody looked and said, um, this kid needs something different than what we're providing and um and that's okay like let's figure out how to how to honor the way that she needs to move into the world and the way she needs to move into a learning process and a creation process so honor the way we move through the world honor the way we move through our creation process that's what i want for everybody i think a lot of the inner battle would just go away when we let ourselves love that process. And it makes me think of our mutual friend, Amelia, the positive psychology professor, whose approach is to say, what's right with me instead of what's wrong with me? Like, what's right with me? So really embracing the ways that we work. I think there may be some effort to undo a lot of the programming of thinking that there's a certain way to do it. But I think there's a lot of joy and empowerment in getting to know what works for you and honoring that. I just, I love that because after working with clients for so many years, I just kind of refuse to think anything's wrong with people. And I love that there is so much more awareness about neurodivergence and that, yeah, everyone's going to be going through life differently. And yeah, some people will have more challenge than others with focus and getting things done. There's so many more resources and support and um, quote unquote normalizing of that. That just feels like that's going in the right direction. Yeah, and again, we're we're not saying or or suggesting to anyone that you know if you're if you're struggling in certain ways um, th- that you don't go see but somebody who is genuinely credentialed and qualified to to understand what's happening because there may be all sorts of specific modalities yeah. whatever those might be that are appropriate and helpful i think what we are inviting folks to do and mel to do is say and what else and how else might you be able to step into a place of agency and intentionality in this journey how might you be able to look at it and say okay so if i need to do things differently what's what's that going to look like now i think it's also probably important to acknowledge the fact that that may mean certain folks actually need to invest significantly more energy in figuring that out than somebody who just happens to slot into a way to express this thing within themselves that seems to have a fairly just you know, like laid out path. 
And that that extra amount of effort, maybe cognitive, attentional bandwidth, emotional bandwidth, it may take energy out of you. It may take a toll. So uh, what are your thoughts on really also centering this sort of like a longer term horizon, a sense of forgiveness along the way when, when you're sort of exploring something like this? You know, there's so much compassion in what you said. And before we started recording, I was telling you that some of the processes that I'm working through, not necessarily regarding productivity or creativity, but more personal growth and transformation and and how frustrated I am at how long it takes and how glacial and slow the process is. And what, you know, you talked about forgiveness, like forgiveness of being impatient, letting myself be in a transformative process, not wanting to hurry things along really kind of how we hold something, I think has a big impact on how it's going to go for us. So being tender, being kind, and you mentioned finding resources, maybe getting a diagnosis, maybe going on some medication that will help. When I interviewed uh, my friend Corey Huff for my podcast, Stumbling Toward Genius, he, he really talked about how much of a difference the diagnosis made for him, how the medication helped. I want to share a couple of resources he mentioned because I think getting into the world of others who are going through that probably helps a lot and, and just relieves a lot of that angst that goes around it. He mentioned a YouTube channel that's hosted by Jessica McCabe, and it's it's more than a YouTube channel. She has a lot more resources than that, but it's called How to ADHD. And then he mentioned a book that really helped him called The Smart But Scattered Guide to Success by Peg Dawson and Richard Guar. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. The the comments that I saw on the YouTube channel were really people feeling just a huge sense of relief at being recognized, being seen, and being understood, and kind of feeling like they found a sort of a home for for themselves. So I think that goes a long way toward making the kind of progress you want. Yeah, I love that. I think it's and thank you for sharing the specific resources. Um I note also that Mel shared that her um her shadow or like in our parlance kind of the runner up sparkotype or impulse for effort that makes you feel alive was um the advocate. And that advocate is all about championing ideas, ideals, individuals, communities, anything that's deeply meaningful to you. And this is actually really interesting impulse because Often the way that people sort of wheel this impulse or step into it is they champion everything that exists outside of them. Hmm. Um, This might be an interesting moment to sort of say, huh, like what if the thing that for a certain season or a certain amount of my energy that would actually like really make a difference is what if I champion my own needs for, Mm. you know, like a moment in time? I love that. What if I say, okay, so I've just discovered something about myself. I've kind of known these things, but now I sort of like have shape and form around it. And what if I take a little bit of time now, um, maybe more than a little bit of time and say, let me champion my own exploration of how I'm going to pursue the things that light me up. Like, what are all the different ways that I would go about it and be my own, you know, be an advocate for myself and how I need and want to show up in the world. And I feel like, so often people with this advocate impulse, whether it's primary or shadow, they see so many things that need to have the light of day shine on them that exist outside of themselves, that the notion of actually standing in a place of advocacy for themselves almost feels uncomfortable, almost feels selfish. We see this in the nurture impulse often also, mm. like taking care of yourself can also feel like, but I'm here to actually elevate others and take care of others. This, this is not for me. This is for me to give to others. So I, w- I would also invite Mel to sort of explore that. 
as an interesting thing to kind of play with uh, as as you go out and try and figure out like what's really going to be helpful for me in this context. I, I think that's a great insight, Jonathan. I, I think often we don't step outside of ourselves and say, oh, I deserve this attention too. And you also talked about doing it for a specific period of time. That really works for me to just think, okay, you know, this year is about this. Here's here's what this is about. And that means I might not be doing other things. I might have to let go of some things and have a different kind of focus. I do want to say, I think Mel is doing some things toward what you said, advocating for herself, getting the diagnosis. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yep, she did getting some medic- medication. Um, and then even just writing to us to ask for help is really, it's a huge step. And I want to say that the other thing that I'm always telling people, and I've probably said it on this podcast, is to lower the bar. Often we think things have to, you know, be big, or I have to do a big project, or her environmentalism and animal rights activism, that that has to be some kind of big change. It could be small. It, It could be small. It could be satisfying, even if it's not huge. So if there are any um, ideas about how it has to look, some of that lowering those expectations could help. Yeah, I love that. Just sort of uh, creating a little bit of space <laughs> Yeah, to experiment and see what what feels right and what's moving the needle and what's not. Any final thoughts before we wrap up today? I find that having a, a frame around it, like how do I want this to be? She loves to learn so it could be leaning into that maven and that loving to learn and just saying, I'm going on this learning track of learning myself now. Who am I now? Who am I both how I how I get things done, how I create, and who am I with this this diagnosis and, and how do I want that to be? Letting that kind of have a frame or a wrapper around it could help to make it more fun and easy. Yeah, I love that. And and I would just probably add in, you know, what if what if you spend some time taking that maven's impulse and and building it around the question of like how do i learn like and just running a series of experiments playful experiments with no expectation of quote succeeding or failing mm. right this is just what if i tried learning this way by listening what if i tried learning this way by just playing with my hands or working or doing things what if i actually broke it into you know like 60 second chunks instead of hour long sitting what if i was up and around and moving my body while I was doing things. These are all experiments that I've actually run myself over many years. And I've, I've found that uh, like even with a, like a, a neurologically different brain, a lot of the conventional ways that I was sort of like, quote, made to learn um, for, for much of my life, including straight through law school, my brain just doesn't wrap its head around it. Um, yeah. I just literally could not, like, it would sound like, the teacher from Charlie Brown was just right. wah, 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 wah. And I had to just run a lot of experiments. I, I, I actually found out after law school that my brain learns in a profoundly faster and deeper way when my body was moving. So I studied for the bar by taking a massive outline. And I was living on a little island, you know, like between the North and South Fork of Long Island for the whole summer before the bar. And I would literally just walk miles of laps around my, my backyard and my deck with the outline in my hands, studying it while I moved. And I realized there was something about the physical movement that let the information go in and land and be synthesized and then stay with me in a way where if I just sat, it was a completely 
different and a much harder experience. So just all sorts of experiments like that, I think, can be super helpful. So how did you figure that out? And what gave you the, quote unquote, permission to do it? Because it seems yeah, kooky. It's that it, kooky it does. kind and, of thing. And, and had anybody seen me sort of like like pacing around for hours, like with an outline in my hand, you know, it, it would have... I would have probably felt a little self-conscious, but I was in this sort of like sh- very sheltered place <laughs> where I was on my own. Maybe that gave me the freedom to just sort of like do what I need to do. There was, you know, oddly enough, it was just intuitively something in me wanted to move while I was studying. And I just, you listened. and I'm not somebody who's particularly antsy or in general, but there was something inside of me that said, I just need to walk around while I'm doing this. And I just started doing it. It wasn't so much an intentional thing. I just started doing it. And I just, and I noticed pretty quickly, I'm like, oh, this is different. Oh, yeah. This actually feels a lot better. There's a, like, there was a level of ease that I experienced mm. that wasn't there when I was just sort of like sitting in front of like on a desk, you know, like without moving my body and trying to actually do this work. So, um, so you heard yeah. a little, a little something, a, a whisper, little nudge, a whisper, <laughs> and you, you listened and you tried it. And then you notice that it made a difference. So that's a great, you know, we're talking about formulas, winning a formula, listen to those nudges, whether it's a whisper or body or however we get that and and play with it. Yeah. By the way, I came to learn many years later that um, there was actually academic peer-reviewed published research on how much better most of us learn and memorize when we're actually moving during that process. Um, it was a study that compared people who were on treadmills while they were learning versus wow. being sedentary. And there was a huge difference. So, wow. And you knew? think of how like schools are set up. We're like sitting down in little right. rows like, for eight hours. And like, yeah. that's it, it seems really like, who, who came up with that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, because they were set up largely for um, compliance, not for right. learning and creativity. Um, right. You know, so sometimes I think we're all realizing that we need to figure out things that work for us in our own best way. That's it. Cynthia, always awesome uh, spending time with you. Thanks for your fantastic insights and for the resources, which of course we'll add into the show notes there for anyone who wanted them. And Mal, thanks for your question. And we will see you, our wonderful listening community again next week. Take care. Hey, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation, learned a little something about your own quest to come alive and work in life, and maybe feel a little bit less alone along this journey to find and do what sparks you. And if you'd love to share your own moment and question with us, we would love to hear from you. Just go ahead and click on the submissions link in the show notes to get the details on how to do that. And remember, if you're at a moment of exploration, looking to find and do or even create work that makes you come more fully alive, that brings more meaning and purpose and joy into your life. Take the time to discover your own personal Sparkotype for free at Sparkotype.com. It'll open your eyes to a deeper understanding of yourself and open the door to possibility like never before. And hey, if you're finding value in these conversations, please just take an extra second right now to follow and rate Sparked in your favorite podcast app. This is so helpful in helping others find the show and growing our community so that we can all come alive and work in life together. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked.